The election campaign is past the halfway point and things are starting to heat up. Leaders squared off in the first French debate, which saw arguments over the snap election call, vaccines and sexual misconduct, and the Liberals unveiled their platform. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. In the second of our special election panels, Tasha Carradine, principal with Navigator Limited and a columnist for the National Post, and Warren Kinsella, president of the Daisy Group and a columnist for the Toronto Sun, join me to discuss the first leaders' debate, the Liberals' campaign platform, and whether the grits have to go negative to stem their falling support. Don't forget, you can find us on all your favorite listening platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. There's a lot to get to as we hit the midway point of this federal election campaign, so we're just going to dive right into it. Thursday night saw the first of the leaders' debates. This one was in French on Quebec Network uh, TVA. Just want to get a sense from both of you, as many Canadians probably didn't see the debate, how you felt it went, how you felt each of the, the leaders did. Tasha, we're going to start with you. How do you feel that Aaron O'Toole handled himself? I know that you were kind of focused on him being a stronger competitor for Justin Trudeau than, say, Andrew Scheer back in 2019. Yeah, he certainly was. And you had a lot of face-offs between the two leaders at this debate. I thought O'Toole acquitted himself very well, uh, particularly earlier part of the night. Trudeau looked very uncomfortable when he was trying to defend why he was having an election. That was the real like, nut of the thing for the first 30 minutes. And O'Toole just sort of smiled through the whole thing. But then the tables turned a little bit in the second part of the debate. Trudeau tried to get him on the ropes on the issue of gun control and also of uh, the environment terrain that I think O'Toole was, was less confident on. But overall, O'Toole managed to really look prime ministerial, which was his main job here. And he appealed a lot to a soft nationalist vote with his contract with Quebecers. So I think he did very well. I don't think there was any knockouts by either of them, mm-hmm. but uh, it certainly set the table for the next debate. Now, Warren, from your perspective, you know, we're looking at Quebec as always being, you know, a, a battleground, the Liberals and the Bloc Québécois trying to freeze each other out and the, the Conservatives and the NDP just trying to pick up seats. So who do you think came out of the debate in better shape? I agree with Tash. I think it's O'Toole, mainly because the expectations for him, as has been the case throughout this campaign, were so low. So if you look at a lot of the Quebec commentators, They were surprised by his French, and they were surprised by how effective he was. He didn't just play defense, as leaders often do when they're not speaking in their first tongue. Mm -hmm. He actually, as Tasha said, went after Trudeau. I thought he was most effective on the Me Too segment, as Tevia called it, You know, talking about the issue of uh, sexual harassment of women, which is an issue that's bedeviled the Liberal campaign, particularly this week. And O'Toole really got him on the ropes on that and kept him there. But I, you know, I do feel that uh, what I was struck by is Trudeau. I often find in English is really phony and affected, and he he really does sound like a drama teacher or a drama student. Mm -hmm. But in French, he was much more compelling, and um, you could see that he's decided to hammer O'Toole for the next few days on the vaccine issue. They've decided that that's you know a winner for them. So if they go neg, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do, the Liberal campaign, I think they're going to go neg on that issue. Yeah. Yeah, I would think, I think too, that um, there was that moment, the Me Too moment. I agree. That was sort of almost like the, you know, the infamous, you had an option, sir, exchange uh, in 1984 between Brian Mulroney and John Turner, 
when it was really sort of nailed to the wall. And on this one, Trudeau's sort of, when he was asked why, if he regretted giving a raise to Jonathan Vance uh, after knowing that there were allegations of sexual harassment against him, Trudeau sort of said, well, we, we followed procedure. <laughs> and O'Toole slapped him back and said, well, we needed leadership and you were in charge. And that was a really pivotal moment. But, but... I don't think it's going to be a game changer the same way that 84 comment was because it's not, it's a big issue, but it's not an issue that's top of mind for Canadians right now. You know, to Warren's point, vaccines, the pandemic, the economy, those are the things. So I understand why the liberals would go hard on that going forward and try and change the channel a bit from the problem they had this week with their candidate. I do want to touch on that because I know the Me Too segment is, as you say, like there was a lot of focus on the handling of the issues of sexual misconduct in the military, but Justin Trudeau's been facing a lot of heat in the last week for his response when asked about the status of a candidate who's facing allegations of sexual misconduct himself. Warren, what did you make of Trudeau's handling of the Raj Saini issue? And could this be something that dogs him further into the campaign? Yeah, well, his handling of it has been terrible. You know, there's not just one or two allegations against this Liberal MP. There's about six. Mm -hmm. And in one case, tragically, one of the complainants actually attempted suicide. So for Trudeau, you know, the self-proclaimed feminist to turn around and say that he stands with this MP when he'd previously said so many times he had zero tolerance for sexual misconduct, it's just appalling. And I think that's why... O'Toole opened up a front on Trudeau there. Like, I, I think it's a real vulnerability for Trudeau. And what amazes me is, you know, because he's not a bad performer, is he doesn't seem to realize it, mm -hmm. that he is extremely vulnerable on that issue. And if he loses the support of women, the only reason he's prime minister now, the only reason he survived 2019 is because Canadian women kind of held their nose and stuck with him because they were uncomfortable about sheer. I'm not so sure that's going to be the case this time. Yeah, he's got the women's vote. He's still leading in that respect. But I throw two names at you, Scott Andrews and Massimo Pacetti. Mm -hmm. In 2015, Trudeau turfed both of those MPs with no due process over allegations from NDP MP and NDP uh, staffer, I think, as well, of harassment and sexual misconduct. At the time, he was defending, I'm a feminist and I, you know, believe the women, basically. And in this, in this case, like Warren said, who's believing the women? He certainly doesn't seem to. And he's relying on procedure, but it's not clear what procedure was actually followed in the investigation of these allegations against Saney. So I think it's really tough. On top of that, O'Toole has turfed one of his candidates in Nova Scotia, I believe, who was accused of sexual misconduct on Twitter. Also, you know, it was not a formal charge, no police, no nothing. But the Tories had a zero tolerance. They're like, no, okay, you can't be running. So it puts Trudeau in even worse light by comparison. And, you know, Trudeau personally is highly vulnerable on this issue. You know, mm -hmm. back in 2018, June of 2018, I got sent the Creston Valley Advance editorial where the reporter wrote as a fact that Justin Trudeau, then not the prime minister, had groped her at a beer festival, a Kokanee beer festival. And his response was, well, I wouldn't have done it if I'd known you wrote for a national newspaper for post media. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the infamous phrase came out of, uh, you know, people can experience the same event differently. He is personally vulnerable on this issue, but for some reason he, seems to be unaware of that, just as he seems to be unaware that he's vulnerable on the early election call. You know, David Peterson in 1990 or Jim Prentice in Alberta in 2014, 
could tell him, you know, that there's a profound danger in doing that. Both those guys were likable and capable and adept political performers, but they got taught a lesson by the people. And that's a risk that Justin Trudeau also faces in this election campaign. Going to move on a little bit to the, the kind of the meat of the campaign, some of the issues that we're hearing. After the Conservatives and the NDP got out of the gate early with their platforms, the Liberals finally came out unveiled their full platform. They claimed it was fully costed, unlike other parties, but Justin Trudeau's opponents accused him of merely recycling old, unkept promises. Warren, what were some of your takeaways from what the Liberals put out this past week? Well, it was, you know, um, my apologies to drunken sailors. It was like it would put a... it would. <laughs> It would put a drunken sailor to shame, you know, nearly $80 billion in spending, and they completely discarded their obligation to suggest when they're going to balance the budget again, which is, we all would recall, is one of his key promises from 2015. Mm -hmm. So as a document, I think it was really ineffective. The reason why I think the NDP and Tory documents, their policy documents, which as you pointed out, the NDP released theirs just before the campaign, O'Toole just after, it gave them something to talk about. You know, when I worked for Mr. Kretzian in 93, that was the fascinating thing about the Red Book for me. You know, most people don't read those policy documents. Yeah. You know, your average Joe and Jane front porch don't read it. You know, weirdos like all of us in this discussion read them. <laughs> but it gave Kretzian something to hold up and say, look, I've got a plan. If you don't like me, I've got a team. If you don't like my team, I've got a plan. So he could pivot with it. For the first two weeks of the campaign, Trudeau didn't have that. And I think that made him especially vulnerable because he is an actor and he's a very good actor and he needs, like any good actor, he needs a script and he didn't have one. And now it seems like it's a little bit too late. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not an actor at the level of Johnny Depp to talk about drunken sailors. So I don't know if he's going <laughs> to do uh, as well with this one. I agree. It is a big spending. It's tax and spend actually policies that are in there, which is no surprise Yes, some stuff recycled, but some things new, like a minimum tax on the wealthy. That's a direct appeal to NDP voters right there. Uh, Hot button issues, you know, abortion regulation across the country. I don't know where he's going to do that exactly. Is he amending the Canada Health Act to claw back money like he would do for Nova Scotia? They raised that before the campaign. That's a total dog whistle on the Tories to try and and get them, which is weird because O'Toole has come out clearly and said, you know, I'm pro-choice. Have a nice day. He also is really hitting on healthcare and climate. Those two, I think, are issues that the Tories are vulnerable on with healthcare. We saw it in that debate last night, actually, where Trudeau did hammer O'Toole. It was one of those moments, one of the few moments where Trudeau really had O'Toole very, very clearly on the ropes, trying to get him to say, well, didn't you say you want more private healthcare? And, you know, O'Toole just ignored this and said, no, no, I support the universal system. I want people to know that. Well, we do know that, but we also know that he supports more choice, which is what? It's private health care. And I actually think, you know, owning that and in a positive light would have been a much better approach. So I think the liberals will double down on that one and their platform allows them to do that. So they've got some stuff in there that's going to help them, but other things that I think are just, you know, the, the big spending piece is attracting a lot of criticism because it's just going to put the country in a worse hole than it already is. And, you know, it might be costed, but do I believe they're costing? No, not really. <laughs> One of the things I was curious your thoughts on, the idea that we're having a campaign now, and as you talked about earlier, Warren, Justin Trudeau's vulnerable on the early campaign call. Is there anything in this platform that gives justification for the campaign? I know that Justin Trudeau, on when he announced the election, 
back in August, the idea that Canadians deserve a choice in what the next 17 months or 17 years are going to look like. Tasha, does this platform give them that justification for the early election call? I don't think so. I think a lot of these measures, like the minimum tax, that would have easily passed. You know, the NDP would have been all over that. I don't think that, um, you know, giving more money to healthcare too. I mean, the Tories are doing it, so that wouldn't have stopped there. I think that that's Trudeau's greatest Achilles heel is why are we having this vote now? And that came out last night too. That was really his his hardest thing to do. And the reason he's doubling down on vaccines is, is exactly that, because this platform doesn't give a reason to have an election now. He's trying to make it now about vaccination and that's the dividing line about what we, how we go forward and end this pandemic. Well, unless you force everyone to get a vaccine, which he's not going to do to force everyone to get one, it makes no difference. You're still offering the same, same situation is there's a vaccine available and go, please get it. But it's fallacious. So I think that his platform, I think they just rushed it out because they realized the fact they hadn't put it in the window was really hurting them, but it doesn't give me, or I think any other voter more reason to say this election's valid. Warren, what about for you? No, he he didn't. Tash and I have done lots of advising to lots of leaders over the years. You know, on the first day of the campaign, all the leaders do the same thing. They come out and they stand in front of the gaggle of microphones and they say, this election is about blank. And it was critically important that Justin Trudeau do that, you know, on that sunny August morning in front of Rideau Hall that he walks out because he was calling it two years earlier than he needed to. Mm -hmm. He was calling it, as Tasha said, in a circumstance where he wasn't stopped on any legislation. The pandemic had rendered his minority a majority. He needed to come out and be just convincing as hell and say, I'm Justin Trudeau and I'm calling this election because blank. And he didn't. He talked about it being consequential, talked about it being pivotal, but he didn't give us a noun. You know, He didn't say, here's why we're doing this. And why we have to do this. And he's been struggling to provide that kind of justification, that kind of narrative, you know, for the past few weeks. And it shows. It's showing in the numbers. He's losing every single mainstream media poll that has been published says that he is losing to the Conservative Party. Mm -hmm. Not dramatically, I think, but he is losing. And the main reason is we're having an election. It's a Seinfeldian election about nothing. We're at the halfway point in this campaign. The coming week is going to see another French debate and the English language debate, the quote unquote official debates with Justin Trudeau trailing in the polls. What is the next week of the campaign look like building up to kind of this, this showpiece, this English debate, Warren? He's got to go neg. Like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a war room guy. I ran war rooms for Kretzky and other people. And I always feel it's right and proper to be critical about the public record of somebody seeking high public office. And O'Toole does have some vulnerabilities. You know, he does have candidates. He hasn't identified them who are not vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Trudeau does too. But I think it's more of an issue for O'Toole because O'Toole looks kind of blasé and dismissive about it. And the polling I've seen, guys, is 80% of Canadians, not of vaccinated Canadians, not only are in favor of vaccine passports and all that stuff, they actually are in the mood to punish the unvaccinated. They're that mad. Mm -hmm. They're that fed up with their lives being limited by the reckless behavior of the unvaccinated. So, you know, I think that's where Trudeau is going to go. And I think that that is a potential source of votes for him because O'Toole, I think, has underestimated the power of that issue. Yeah, I, I agree with Warren that negativity is coming. And it's coming fast because there's not a lot of runway left in this campaign. It's a short campaign and the liberals have to 
change the narrative. They have to change the direction the polls are going in. So they have to sow that doubt. They have to chase NDP voters back into the tent or switchers rather back into the liberal tent to say, hey, there's a real danger now, quotes unquote, of a conservative government. And if they come in, the voices of people like the anti-vaxxers, you know, who've been dogging Trudeau on all these protests, who are not affiliated with the conservative party in a formal sense, but are they're trying to conflate that. The, the, the liberals are trying to say, look, that's the position. I mean, people who don't get vaccinated, people who are the problem, and there they are. And the conservatives have them too, because not all their candidates are vaccinated. That dog whistle, it, it is actually true. And I mean, they don't have all their candidates vaccinated. But that information, I think people, they want people to conflate the two. So it's going to be nasty, to Warren's point. The next two debates are going to be critical, because that's really where the gloves are going to totally come off. It's something we'll all be looking forward to as political watchers. It's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Warren Kinsella, Tasha Carradine, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guests, Tasha Carradine and Warren Kinsella. More from her at nationalpost.com. More from Warren at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thank you.